0: Welcome to the CSUF pod, a weekly series where we give tips, tools, resources, and more for titans of all walks of life to achieve greatness. I'm your host today, Jillian Brander, and we're putting the U in CSUF today. We're going to talk about how your body reacts to stress. Stress do you feel me? Today we'll chat about how chronic and acute stress affect our decision-making abilities and ways to recognize and respond to stress in our bodies. Trigger warning, today in this week's podcast, we're gonna be talking about stress, potentially talking about sexual assault, PTSD, and other mental health issues. So if you are um, affected by any of those things, this is your warning, so just to mentally prepare yourself. Alrighty, today we are with Dr. Dust. Say hi, Dr. Dust. Hi, Dr. Dust. Oh my gosh, oh, wow. I can't. I can't. This is too good. (laughs) Dr. Dust is a lecturer in the Department of Public Health, is a combat veteran of the Iraq war and returned home with PTSD. His quest to understand his PTSD led him to complete a PhD in health promotion sciences with a concentration in neurocognitive sciences. No big deal. Just a little thing. Just a little thing. His research focuses on the potential for primary prevention of traumatic stress-related disorders and how to moderate the symptoms of chronic stress and traumatic stress. Pretty heavy stuff. So tell us. Welcome, Dr. Dust. Tell us about yourself. And We're so excited to have you.
1: Hey, Jillian. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here as well. Um, I wasn't supposed to be a PhD. I was supposed to be a business consultant. Oh. Yeah, I uh, started my graduate school in uh, the master's of business administration program at Claremont Graduate University. Oh, and it was there that I had a course that changed my life and it was a course called executive mind. And so this course taught me mindfulness meditation in order to better regulate my nervous system to make better business decisions, because when we are under high levels of stress we're basically dumb teenagers. Oh no. Yeah because the cortisol that's excreted in our in our systems uh, through the fight-or-flight response chemically cuts off access to the executive functions of our brain. So our prefrontal cortex is not able to fully do its job of inhibiting the impulsivity, uh, emotion-laden decision-making that we do from our midbrain region. Teenagers don't, well human beings, don't necessarily fully develop their brain until about the age of 25 or so. God,
0: I feel like it takes so long.
1: <laughs> and actually women are a little bit faster in their development of their brain regions than men, so that's why women mature a little bit faster, I think, or have a little bit better decision-making um, apparatus in, in their teenage years than men do. Hmm. Um, so what happens is the the frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, that's all our executive function stuff, It also affects uh, those with ADHD, like myself, Um, basically chronic stress inhibits your ability to make sound logical decisions because they happen on impulse. And so I became fascinated with this whole brain body connection, um, from this executive mind class, because I noticed when I I would meditate that I was less reactive to my surroundings. All right. And so one of my, my famous story that I tell is, uh, when I was stationed at Fort Irwin, um, uh, after I got out of the Iraq, uh, got back from Iraq in January of 2006, uh, the wife and kids and I were in a Honda Odyssey minivan driving down the 15, and there was a pile of trash on the side of the road. Mm. And I just reacted as if I was still in Iraq. I stepped oh, wow. on the gas, swerved away from it, and accelerated out of the kill zone. And my family's like, Dad, what's going on? And what I couldn't understand was why my behavior happened instantaneously. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to think about it, it just did it. As I became more familiar with how the brain works and how our nervous system um, works and things, it started to make sense that, oh, because I was blown up by an IED in Iraq, mm-hmm. that was and actually, it was a, a road sign turned the wrong direction, um, uh, wow. is what was the, like the, the the cue for for the trigger guy. Fortunately, he blew it up about a second too early and all I got was a face full of engine oil and rocks and debris and that kind of stuff. And I didn't suffer any, any worse injuries, um, up in the turret of the Humvee. Um,
0: but, oh my, my brain
1: said anything on the side of the road is a threat. Wow. Okay. And so one trial learning is essentially what happened, you know, it happened one time. And because we are, we're wired to stay alive, our, my amygdala started saying, okay, anything on the side of the road is a threat because, you know, um, in Iraq, we also had, uh, they would have animals, uh, dead animals on the side of the road. They'd shove mm. um, uh, artillery shells and mortar rounds and stuff uh, inside wow. of them and use those for IUDs. And I didn't understand why I would freak out because like, I know I'm not in Iraq. I know nothing here is going to hurt me. And so then as I, as I started to learn more, Um, with mindfulness, it brought awareness to my body and the sensations that's going on inside the body. Your nervous system is trying to cue you into saying there is some kind of perceived threat. And this happens at the subconscious level very quickly, because if it didn't, we wouldn't survive as a species. We'd be too slow. We'd be exactly too slow. Nope. We got to jump away (laughs) from those saber tooth cats down to the bridge. Exactly. you know,
0: (laughs) or else you end up in the tar pit. Exactly. That's incredible. Can I ask a question? Sure. I feel like, you know, when someone's under chronic, I've been under chronic stress and, you know, have had to go through, you know, weekly meetings with groups on how to, you know, come down from a very stressful situation. And it's insane how it affects, stress can affect everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things. How do you see it coming before it's too late?
1: Right. And and so that was kind of one of my my things with my dissertation research was uh, I became fascinated with the idea that we could possibly prevent the development of PTSD after a traumatic event if we're able to strengthen our nervous system's ability to withstand stress physiologically before we we have a traumatic Mm -hmm. event. Because you never know when a traumatic event's going to occur. Right. So I, I through my research and things I understood how to activate the parasympathetic nervous system um, using some visualization techniques and some breathing techniques and things that would then uh, exercise the vagus nerve. So there's a thing called vagal tone. There's this nerve that runs from your brainstem down to your heart and it regulates your beat, uh, how the, the frequency of your heartbeat. And so vagal tone is an indicator of physiological resilience. People that have more vagal tone are more resilient to stressors than people that are very very uh low vagal tone
0: and can't you through deep breathing like trigger your nerve like can't can't you regulate it that way
1: yeah that's one of the keys is that um heart rate variability actually picks up the the frequency of the intervals and breathing is one of the ways uh breathing works both ways Uh, it can increase your heart rate and it can slow down your heart rate with with vagal tone what you're looking for is more variance in the interbeat intervals okay so if you ever looked at ekg you get the little spikes Mm -hmm. uh you know it goes up in the triangle and comes down and so the way you measure vagal tone is what is you measure the time between each of those spikes on the ekg and the more variance that there is in between those spikes so for instance one would be uh, uh my, my numbers are completely wrong but let's like yeah, say yeah. 10 milliseconds the next one's 12 milliseconds you want them to be even no you want them to be different why that's the crazy part i'm like I wouldn't
0: w- you want it to be even for a whole minute that's what, you that's would what i think. try to do is is make my heart rate like that. i forget to breathe i'm like <gasps>
1: <gasps> forgetting to breathe <gasps> actually speeds your heart rate up
0: oh great good yeah. to know that's exactly what i need like yeah. why is that like
1: Well, I I came up with this analogy of it's like earthquake-proofing a building, okay? A building that is not earthquake-proof is very stiff and Mm -hmm. rigid. So if your heartbeat is very stiff and rigid where you have 10 milliseconds between every single heartbeat, you're like a uh, non-earthquake-proof building, okay? Now, an earthquake-proof building, it's earthquake-proof because it can move.
0: Go with the flow. It can go with the
1: flow. So your, your heartbeat can be... 12 milliseconds, then 10 milliseconds, then eight, then 15, or, you know, the, the numbers aren't exactly right. It's just that
0: makes sense, example. though.
1: So, you, you're that is what is going with the flow. And so, what you can do is through breath counting exercises, this visualization exercise that I call uh, resourcing that I learned from the Trauma Resource Institute uh, in Claremont. This resourcing exercise is bringing to mind a positive event, a person, place, thing, something that brings you happiness and joy. And it intentionally activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest side. It's the antagonist to the fight or flight, the sympathetic arousal. Right. Right. And so I, I got fascinated with this because our, our sympathetic arousal happens instantaneously keeps us alive. And well, that's
0: our, is that our fight? That's our fight or flight.
1: Oh. Okay. And so there's, that's fight, flight, freeze, uh, is, is the, mm-hmm. the three, uh, different categories or or states that you can go into.
0: Didn't even know about freeze.
1: Mm -hmm. You, you want to go, you want to take off, you want to fight, you want to scream, you want to do whatever you can, but you can't, you're in this tonic state of immobility. And what goes along with that quite frequently is disassociation. Mm -hmm. And so you will physically be there, but mentally you won't because it's a protection measure. Right. And so you, you disassociate. And that's one of the reasons why, um, witnesses, personal testimony from victims in sexual abuse cases isn't good because they probably won't remember it.
0: Right. right. And, and, get, then, and that
1: gets held against them. Right. They're like, oh, you can't remember the sexual Every assault. Every
0: detail because your mind is disassociating from that experience.
1: Exactly. Once the event is over, you have a, a termination of the defensive response. Uh, and that's one of the problems that kind of comes in with, I think, the development of PTSD mm-hmm. is, as I was talking about earlier, if you were thwarted from doing your defensive response that you wanted to do, you can get stuck in that feedback loop and it just keeps going and going and going because it doesn't know that it's over. And so if it doesn't terminate the defensive response, um, then you still have all that sympathetic arousal going on at the a same da- time. on a daily basis. Kind of thing that's where chronic stress can, chronic can stress. come from after a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got to look at it and go, okay, So if sympathetic arousal happens instantaneously and parasympathetic arousal doesn't though, it doesn't always come back online like it's supposed to. And so I think that's part of that completion of the defensive response thing. It doesn't allow it to, um, the nervous system doesn't know the events over disassociation may come into play with that Mm -hmm. because your brain doesn't know that you're no longer under threat kind of deal. Um, and so, i think ptsd um, partially develops from from that um, but also just the traumatic experience itself Um, and so my my research went in the the way of looking at all right if i can consciously activate my rest and digest that parasympathetic side of things through a breath counting or a visualization uh resourcing exercise then can we increase our vagal tone
0: you know like people may have PTSD and not even know it.
1: We all have nervous systems. Right. We all have stress. You know, when, when you get hit with a traumatic event, you get knocked out of what we call your resilience zone. Mm. Right. And so you have, uh, you know, these upper limits, these lower limits, everybody's a little bit different. You know, you, saw, you see some people are just super even keeled all the time. Um, they don't, nothing really gets them up or gets them down kind of thing. When you have other people they are just, you know, off the charts, up and down. Oh yeah. Kind of deal. Um, and so a traumatic event can knock you outside of your body's normal range okay uh, and then once once you develop ptsd you stay outside that range you're either kind of stuck on high or you go down stuck on low um, so when you're up on the high level it's hypervigilance,
0: vigilance um, you know anxiety. anxiety
1: you know everything's a threat and then once you run out of your body's ability to uh, produces hormones. produce those hormones, <laughs> yeah. you crash and it has to have a way to, um, you know, rebuild itself. And so that's why it crashes down into that low zone. That looks like depression, um, you know, lethargy, lose interest in things that you want to do, that kind of stuff. And then once your body is recovered, boom, it goes back up to the top again. You never come back down to that middle zone. And I have this sneaky suspicion that uh, the majority of substance abuse, Mm. problems that people with PTSD have is this um, attempt to regulate their nervous system via substances. Yeah, um, And I would much rather regulate my nervous system by being in tune with it and knowing what I can do um, through thought processes and breathing exercises to notice that, okay, I get this tingly sensation in my chest. I don't know why, But I know that I can move my attention Mm -hmm. to another part of my body and and my brain will be distracted long enough that I can kind of bring that down. Or I can put my hands on the table Mm -hmm. or my feet on the floor and notice the sensation behind those. And that keeps my brain uh, occupied Yeah, because our brain's not a good multitasker at all.
0: And that's like what what we're going to say, like stress affecting your decision making, Mm -hmm. being stressed like that. I don't like to sit with stress, (laughs) but like you need to so that it doesn't get worse. Right impulsive decisions you know people go on shopping sprees and they're like oh my god i'm just so depressed i have no money yep. right like it can affect it's your life It's a vicious cycle it's a vicious cycle it doesn't have to be and i, I asked you a question what have we done what have our bodies adapted to to deal with this like fast paced you know financial stress whatever relations whatever kind of stress you have how, how have you it you know, over time adapted. I loved your answer.
1: It, it hasn't,
0: it, ha- it hasn't.
1: <laughs> no, our our nervous systems are still hanging out down by the La Brea tar pits, waiting for saber tooth cats to jump out and eat us. It's
0: like the best analogy. Like I could be sitting in my car having anxiety from a previous car accident years ago and being like, that's, what feels like a saber tooth tiger. Like mm-hmm. it absolutely does. What do I tell myself to shock us out of that and to like not relieve us necessarily, what can, what can we say that it's, it's going to make ourselves believe it?
1: It's not necessarily what you can say, because when you're, when you're triggered like that, you're not thinking logically, ah. you know, you're back to that midbrain region because it's a fight or flight. Um, and so then the important part there is to recognize that butterflies in your stomach, it might be, you know, pins and needles in your chest. It could be a pain in your lower back or something of that nature. Your body always has a cue. The problem is we're not very good at listening. Most of us, uh, our stress comes from things that either we have no control over.
0: Oh, I hate it when I don't have control <laughs> over everything. What the or, heck?
1: Or it's so minor that it's it's actually kind of, uh, I don't say like mirroring, it's covering up a bigger issue.
0: How do you, um, you know, when someone is going, like before they experience a stressful event, what are your tips or guidance you know what i'm saying like other i know you mentioned like be aware and like knowing these things is a is a great first step
1: yeah and so there's um some scenario kinds of things that you can do you can visualize what the event's gonna be so for instance um like when i was in my mba classes uh one of the exercises we did was you know imagine um a difficult conversation that you have to have with a a subordinate or Mm -hmm. a coworker or you're asking for a raise or something. And, and you just kind of monitor all the thoughts that are going on inside your head as to what could happen. What if. And exactly the what if side of things and write them down. And the key part though, is to pay attention. What's going on inside your body sensation wise, as you think about, these heartburn. possible scenarios. You
0: get heartburn real bad. Yeah,
1: You get a heartburn. Your mouth could go dry. Your shoulders get tensed up around your ears. You're clenching your jaw. Um, get hot, um, all these physiological reactions and that's your thoughts driving your body. And it says, Oh, okay. You're thinking about this. So, well, I might as well get prepared to fight or flee.
0: And just recognizing those things. Yeah.
1: And, and that's where my mindfulness practice, like I said, comes into play is when I'm focusing on my breath, And I notice a thought pop into my head. You don't judge it. You just notice it's a thought and you let it go. And then you come back to the breath and you know that you're going to have thoughts. And just that simple practice of recognizing, Oh, my, my thoughts have wandered away from the sensation of the air coming in my belly rising, going back out. Or if I'm just counting one on the inhale two on the exhale and next thing I know I've, I'm at seven or eight, but I don't remember saying three, four, five, six kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I had more thoughts. And what that does is it train you trains you to recognize that a thought is just a thought. A thought's not you.
0: It's not a right? fact.
1: It's not a fact. Exactly. It's um most likely a fabrication of the future. And we get all amped up about it.
0: We don't even know it.
1: And we don't know we if think it's, it's gonna it's come happening true or now. not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, because our brains don't know the difference between us thinking about it and it actually happening.
0: So, are our brain so dumb i mean it, it should it, know by cause, now cause it you keeps know us
1: alive <laughs> yeah you know, i mean um,
0: you know i guess give it that give that to it
1: so you know and and that was one of the things that i picked up when uh, i was going to the va for yeah. group therapy sessions i would leave there more stressed out than when i got there
0: yeah let's kind of i was just gonna ask uh, you about and, your experience
1: so a lot of it was because it was you know re-traumatizing because you'd hear somebody else's story or yeah. I'd have to tell my story and most of the you know, the, the gold standard approved therapies for PTSD, um, cause you to relive the experience. You know, um, I did do cognitive behavioral therapy through the VA, but it wasn't until after I'd already learned pretty much to master my nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with cognitive behavioral therapy, it helps you to reframe traumatic experiences and things, but you have to write them down. You have to be able to vocalize, you know, what happened. And then, um, if I wasn't able to monitor my nervous system in real time and recognize as I start to think about a traumatic event, I start to feel this sensation come up in my chest. I can pause and I know I can stop and I can ground myself, which is a meditation technique where I'm noticing the sensation of my butt in the seat or my feet on the floor. And that's something I would do when I was driving because that trash on the side of the road thing, it took me about six months to, to work through that process of retraining my brain to, to, okay, you're in Southern California there's nothing trying to blow you up. Yeah. You'll be okay. Kind of deal to change that program that was running in my head. Every time I was triggered by the, if trash accelerate out of the kill zone. Yeah. Program was running kind of deal. So
0: that's what you would do. You would, you would literally just think about your body mm -hmm. in that moment.
1: Yeah. i would notice the sensation. Sensation is the key part because sensation works at the brainstem level. I think if we, we practice bringing to mind a, a positive, Person place thing, something brings us happiness or joy.
0: That might be better. That
1: will be better, a better way to connect with the sensations because it's a positive sensation. You can tell the difference between a positive sensation, a negative sensation, and a neutral sensation. But let me ask you a question. What is something in your life that brings you happiness or joy? What's your Hmm. what's your favorite place to hang out with your partner?
0: I would say this place called Campland, San Diego, Mission Bay. It's amazing.
1: And as you're talking to me about that, you got a little bit of a smile. I totally am.
0: Yeah, because <gasps> again,
1: your brain doesn't know the difference.
0: I feel like I feel like I just experienced part of your class and it was very valuable for me. Thank you. Thank you for that. I definitely feel like better. Yeah.
1: And I even got a little tingly sensation in my chest because we have these things called mirror neurons. They're a little bit on the debunk kind of side of things, mm-hmm. but um when you're around other people that are happy and you sense joy in them and things, you know, you pick up on that, you know, so just the same way as if you're around somebody that's down and depressed and things, yeah. you'll pick up on that as well. And you'll become down
0: and depressed. Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're around with somebody that's happy or they just had some kind of epiphany or things of that nature, you're like, Oh, that's kind of
0: cool. And it distracts you.
1: Exactly. And that's so it literally it's, just
0: distracted it, me. It
1: stops that train, that negative train from getting out of the station.
0: Um, what are some everyday things that, you know, how our bodies respond to stress? What are some everyday things that people who have, may have chronic stress and not know it? Like you said, like if you could bullet point three things for someone to do that would improve their brain, <laughs> mental state.
1: Uh, my favorite is breathing.
0: Breathing. Breathe. It sounds so simple, it doesn't it? It sounds so simple. But, but I can't breathe sometimes. You know,
1: it's re- it can be really hard to do i mean because i remember my first uh first learning to meditate i was like five minutes felt like five hours Ah, because i had all these thoughts running through my brain and and i'm like I, i can't meditate because i had this misconception that when you you meditate that means that you have zero thoughts your brain's just clear this empty space right? kind of thing. Where is that? And I want to it, find it. And maybe after you meditate about 10,000 hours you might get to that point, you know, a Buddhist monk kind of deal, but um once I realized that the whole purpose of the exercise was to recognize that I had a thought and bring my attention back to the breath without judgment. It's like, "Oh. Now it's a game. There's I mean even my watch has an app on there where, you know, it tells me Hey, let's do some mindfulness and let's work on our breathing Technology kind of thing. So there's so many apps out there. My favorite is Headspace. Um, Oh,
0: I love Headspace. I've seen their things on Netflix. Yeah, yeah,
1: there's uh, that was going to be a resource I'd send students (laughs) to or anybody really to is if you've got a Netflix account, go to the Headspace videos. That's a really great primer on mindfulness. And and I really think that's where you start is with your breath, Um, because with your breath, uh, how it's controlled can control everything else. Cause like I said earlier, if you're having these short, um, short, fast breaths, your nervous system's going to think there's a threat that it didn't pick up and it's going to go into a fight or flight state. If you're having longer, deeper breaths, um, then your nervous system's going to say, oh, okay, I can chill. And it's going to slow the heart rate down. It's going to reduce the amount of uh, cortisol floating around your system and that kind of stuff. And so it brings down that activation levels. I mean, we're, we're almost to the, the beginning of the, the, semester as we're recording this and i'm looking at my classes going oh my goodness i have an asynchronous class i have to teach and i haven't recorded any videos yet (laughs) this will be one of them (laughs) you know and i'm I'm sitting there going i'm starting to get stressed out and i I feel that anxiety rising and then my brain's going oh my god you're not going to get this done well here's another distraction well here's another distraction here's another one kind of thing in order to you know out of sight out of mind it Kind of deal until it becomes too late and then you got to panic and go oh my god i got to do this and
0: you, you know, might as well get another project because <laughs> you got to have fun while you're doing it all
1: you know kind of thing and so you know i had to catch myself and go okay you're having these destructive thoughts
0: yeah then what do you what do you do instead of getting down on yourself
1: honestly i come back to my breath and i sit there really? and, I, and i do a breath counting exercise In for one, let
0: let's can four, we do one okay, right now sure. okay because that so, would be good i feel like i would learn i would definitely so
1: just a simple, simple, simple breath counting exercise, just, you know, sit in a comfortable position, back upright, eyes open or closed, it doesn't matter. And all you're going to do is breathe in for one, two, three, four, holding for one, two, three, four,
0: breathing out
1: for two, three, four, holding two, three, four, in for two, three four, holding for two, three, four, out for two, three, four, in for two, three, four. That's the easiest way to start kind of thing. And then, so there's a lot more advanced stuff that, uh, you know, you can pick up, uh, as you advance into, into mindfulness and things. And, and that's, yeah. And not, and not any one thing won't work for everybody.
0: Um, but last question here, um, we're going to mention resources and link to a bunch of really great things in the comment section, but why are you proud to be a Titan at CSUF? Uh, I,
1: when I first read that question, I was like, man, there's so much to be proud of, but, and, and then I'm sitting here trying to to type out an answer. So, <laughs> and, and I would type something and like, no, delete that. And you know, like, no, sometimes it's just, it's. I think it boils down to where I feel like we make a difference. And I say we, as in the whole CSUF community starting at, you know, president Virgie all the way down yeah. kind of thing. I feel like there's this sense of pride in developing young people into thriving adults, you know, or, or setting them up to do that once they, they graduate kind of thing Yeah, um, that we really are looking at students as individuals and trying to meet their needs where they are instead of saying, Mm -hmm. here is our formula. Either you buy, you you fit, you fit the formula or you don't kind of thing. Um, You know, I grew up in Southeast Missouri and it was not a ethnically diverse area. Mm. And that's something that I've really embraced being out here in California CSUF that my, my classroom has people from, All over the world, all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic statuses. Some are first-generation students. Others are not. Mm -hmm. Um, Some have money. Others don't. Some are Hispanic. Others are African-American. Some are, you know, it doesn't matter.
0: This is a great place to be.
1: It's a great place to be. And we care about our students. And I feel like we make a difference. And I can make a difference. And that's one of the, the things I've never found except for when I was in the Army. You know, any other place I've ever worked was like, yeah, I'm trading time for money. Yeah. But here it's a vocation, you know, it's something, it's a career, it's something that, um, fulfills me mm-hmm. psychologically and emotionally, as well as it provides good to the world. Absolutely. And, and I feel like I'm valued as an, as an instructor, as an employee.
0: That's wonderful. But thank you, Dr. Dust. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. I enjoyed my time here.
0: Alrighty Titans, you heard it here. Thank you for joining myself, Jillian Brander, CSUF social media strategist. But you can follow the CSUF pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's everywhere. We're on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, anchor, and we hope to see you next week for another episode of the CSUF pod.